morning, everyone. Stand with us as we open in worship. Sing about that glorious day. Well, I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. And I was breathing but not alive. And all my failures I tried to hide. It was my tomb till I Amen, amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Welcome to Sunset Hills. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you've had a great week. Um, just wanted to welcome you here. My name's Eric, one of the pastors here. Glad that you're here with us. Hey, uh, we had a great time meeting some new people last week at our Discover Meet and Greet, and we're doing that about every six to seven, eight weeks or so. So if you find yourself new with us or newer to us and you want to 
jump in on the next one. It's on June 11th, and it's going to be like an hour right after church. We'll feed you. We would love to introduce ourselves to you, get to know you much better, your story, meet our staff, all those great things, and be able to give you a little sunset swag bag as a thank you for being there. So we appreciate that. Hey, listen, do us a big favor. Why don't you just welcome a few people right around you? Just say, hey, good morning and welcome to Sunset Hills. Have a seat just for a moment. I want to spend just a, a few moments just celebrating some special people to me. And this is always just a bittersweet Sunday for me because uh, it's a Sunday one that we get to celebrate uh, some of my favorite people in the whole world. But along with that, they're moving on here shortly to uh, some bigger and better things um, that God has planned for them. So uh, it's kind of bittersweet for me. But um, I do want to take a moment and celebrate five folks. We have five graduates that we're going to recognize this morning. Uh, first one, uh, the beautiful Mary Kent Driscoll. Their, their photos are going to pop up here. And uh, we've allowed them to sit with their family and friends and not uh, parade them up front here. So we, we have their pictures here for you to be able to see them. Um, MK, as everyone here knows her, um, is going to be heading on to the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. She's going to be studying graphic design. She's been described by all the people around her as a bright light in a room. Uh, she's recognized as a leader. She's creative. She's humble. She's caring. And she always puts others before herself. You don't have to spend much time with MK to love her. Uh, anytime that she's in student ministry, she leaves a lasting impression, um, especially on our younger girls. She's matured uh, beyond her years and has a future that's just as beautiful as she is. Help me celebrate Mary Kent Driscoll, everyone. Next, over here to my right, I have the lovely Brooklyn, Spain. Brooklyn's going to be heading soon to Columbia State, then to M MTSU, and she's pursuing a bachelor's uh, in English. Um, I can tell you, you find along the way that teens sometimes lack in empathy, but Brooklyn's ability to seek out some of our students on the fringe and make them feel welcome is absolutely off the charts. Uh, we have cried together. As a matter of fact, up until most recently, she had the record for evoking the most tears with her student pastor. We've laughed together, but I can tell you by far our favorite thing is to laugh at each other. Uh, she has a way about reminding me that I'm on borrowed time, that my best days are behind me, and old jokes are, are her absolute favorite. 
uh, Brooklyn not long ago went kicking and screaming to her first year of camp, uh, not even wanting to be in our group picture to brilliantly emceeing our camp talent show just a couple years later. She has more courage than any young lady I know. She's creative and beautiful, and she'll leave a void in our student memory, in our student ministry. Remember her name? She's destined for greatness, Brooklyn, Spain. <laughs> Next here in the center, we have Mr. Levi Patton. Um, Levi will be heading to Bryan College where he'll be playing baseball and studying mechanical or electrical engineering, uh, depending on which classes he passes there. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna be perfectly honest, uh, I only met Levi just a few weeks ago where I learned quickly that he's a hugger, and I'm not, okay? But we've managed to make up ground quickly. If you've ever met someone who just electrifies the room, that's Levi. He loves Jesus fiercely and is always ready to share about God's goodness. He's a natural born leader, he's athletic, and he's already made my job a whole lot easier with his contribution to student ministry. Levi's the kind of friend that everyone deserves, and I'm glad to count him as my friend, Mr. Levi Patton. Well, these next two guys, if you've been around here a, a long time, you, you know these guys. The Center Dynasty is a rich heritage of faith. Um, Mom, has instilled a culture to serve others generously. Dad's instilled uh, discipline and a drive to win. As most of you know, um, these guys are mirror image twins. One's left-handed, one's right. One parts his hair on the left, one parts his hair on the right. One loves broccoli, one hates it. One prefers shoes, one would prefer to go barefoot. But I can tell you one thing that they have in common. They're both awesome guys, and they love Jesus. As I was trying to separate them out to talk about them individually, uh, which I'm going to do, um, I will tell you that it was really tough because they are such a dynamic duo. And it's very rarely, do you ever see them separately? Because they are best friends. Hayden Center is uh, moving to, uh, I'm sorry, Tennessee, Knoxville, where he'll be at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, uh, where he'll be a business major. Um, I know what I think about them and what everyone else thinks about them, but I'll be honest, I never have heard what the other thinks about them. So I've never heard what Zach thinks about Hayden and Hayden thinks about Zach. So last night as I was really putting my thoughts together, I just posed that question. And this is what Zach said about Hayden. He said he's determined, he's driven, he's family-oriented, he's funny, and he's mentally tough. Hayden's been known to take days off and spend in Haydenland where there are no worries. One time at the dinner table, his dad told him to eat his spaghetti or he was getting a spanking. He held his hand up and said, Dad, don't talk to me right now. <laughs> Needless to say, he got that spanking, but he never ate that spaghetti. He is the current holder of our Tag Team Cornhole Championship, along with Hayden Collette. And I had the privilege several years ago to be part of these two, coming to know Jesus. 
Hayden's life reflects his decision that day. Help me celebrate Hayden Center. Zach is also going to be heading to the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, where he will be a marketing major. Hayden said this about Zach. said, he's so competitive, but he always makes life fun. I love spending time with him. Zach is the more sensitive of the two, always answers, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. His grandmother, Joyce, did tell me, however, that she has to make 10 pounds of mashed potatoes just so that there's some left for the rest of the family. He loves mashed potatoes. Zach was our very first holder of the Tag Team Cornhole Championship. And I'm looking forward to spending a week with these guys. Uh, we're gonna go out with a blast this year with summer camp. Help me celebrate Zach Center, everyone. Thank you guys. Hey, before we continue in worship, I, I do want to take a moment and just say thank you all, those of you that uh, supported our students uh, this past week, and uh, we're having, looking forward to an amazing week uh, this summer in June for camp. Stand with us as we continue to worship. A song that you'll all know, and I'll just be honest, it's been on my heart a lot this week, and uh, there's a day that we're all going to stand before our Creator and and uh, he's preparing a place for us now. So we're going to sing about that a little bit this morning. When we all get to heaven, sing along. Well, sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace.
spoken word Lord just draw us close to you Lord help us realize that all the things of this world God they're temporary and they're futile but Lord we're so grateful that because of the opportunity that we have to have you in our lives that God we can inherit that beautiful place that we sang about called heaven Lord, if there's one here today that's never said yes to you, Lord, I just pray that today could be their day. We love you, and it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, Sunset Hills. It's good to see you. I want to offer my congratulations also to M.K., Brooklyn, Levi, Hayden, and Zach on your soon-to-be graduation from high school. It's a great milestone that you've achieved. And you look back and think, well, I know your parents are probably already looking back and saying, where did time go to just that fast it went by? I remember when Zach and Hayden were born, and it's like, how did they get to be seniors in high school already? And here they are. Uh, I was listening to you talk about different folks, and I echo all of those things that you said, and thank you for sharing in such a, a beautiful way, Kelly. But I, I was thinking, which one was it that was, um, which twin was it that uh, w wouldn't eat his spaghetti? Hayden. Hayden. Hayden, come here just a minute, please. Like, like, how many years ago was that? Come, come over here a little closer. I don't even know, like probably five, four. Five, four, something like that. Your dad was big enough to whip you then, right? Yeah. Matthew, would you, where's Matthew? Is he out? He's chicken. I was going to have him, you challenge him right here, right now. <laughs> see if he could whip you now. I don't think he could. I don't think he could either. I don't think he could. Man, thank you. Congratulations, you guys. I could take you, but I don't think Matt could. Yeah. <laughs> we've been in a series over the past couple of weeks where we've looked at three words used in Scripture that are really considered very powerful words. The first week, if you remember, we took a deep dive with the words ask, seek, and knock. 
Then last week, the three-word combination were really what I considered to be the most powerful words that's ever been shared with mankind has had the greatest effect on uh, the world since uh, this happened, and that was uh, God so loved. And God so loved, I've seen the result of God so loved this past week in what's taken place with um, people that what was the, I'm trying to remember the words of the song about the mansions and, and different things and uh, those who I've known. I've, I've, been to, I've been to three different funerals this week. I preached one funeral. I would have been at another funeral of a pastor friend of mine who lost his wife. Had it not been at the same time, I had uh, Jim King's funeral. So it's been one of those weeks where, where a lot's been happening with people who have an eternity in heaven because of God so loved. Today, we're going to take somewhat of a detour from the idea of, uh, let me get my emotions together. We're going to use nine words instead of three, so you're going to be here until about four o'clock. <laughs> I'm detouring from three words, and in fact, I'm going to use nine words. Actually, I'm going to use one word, but I picked out one word out of nine. I was just kidding. We're not going to be here till four and be three before we leave, so you're good. All right. uh, three, one word from nine with one concept that we're going to talk about. And you probably will recognize the words when I put them all together in a series like the Apostle Paul did. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Actually, I think there are actually ten words if you count them. I, I, I don't recall, but nine different kind of concepts here. You can find those in your Bible. You can put it on the screen here in, Gen, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 where it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Do you recognize these words? You probably, If you've been a believer for a while, been around churches for a while, then you would see this as the fruit of the Spirit that's so talked about. And when you uh, hear that, they, they really bring a sense of refreshment about this is what we, as believers, we all have access to. Every one of us, when we become believers, we have access to these words. We are infused with this ability to do all of these things because it is the fruit of the Spirit that has been shared with each one of us. But I'm going to pick out one word, and it's the word goodness. One word out of this. I'm picking this out particularly to speak to our graduates, but all of us actually can learn from this. And graduates, I encourage you in the next chapter of your life that you practice goodness. 
And it would be wise to practice those other eight characteristics of the Holy Spirit that he fills us with also, but, but these are, uh, this one, I guarantee you, if you will practice this word, if you will practice and put it to work in your life, you will stand out among your counterparts. You will be different. Because in this world, we don't do a good job with goodness. We seem to be overlooking that these days. So if you will put goodness to work, in fact, I, I know of many of your backstories, and, and there's evidence already that happened in your high school career and before that. So thank you for doing that, but continue to put goodness to work in your life. And not only will it be good for the next chapter as you go to college and, and other activities, but as you go through your life, I guarantee you, your life will be much better off if you practice goodness. Now, I'm just kind of wondering. I'm going to stray from my notes here just a bit. Has someone ever done anything mean to you? Raise your hands. Come on, be honest. Raise your hand. Almost everybody. Has anybody, is there anybody that no one's ever done a mean thing to you at all? No one? Uh, there's not a single hand up. So why didn't you guys raise your hand? The rest of you, I'm going to ask you the question, you know. Uh, let me change it around a little bit. Have you ever done something mean to someone else? Do you want to raise your hand on that? Well, yeah, there's, well, that's about equal, about the same number of people. I'm going to ask you something this. If you are a believer, you don't, don't raise your hand on this one, all right? If you did something mean to someone, when you, after you became a believer, why did you do it? Why were you mean? You probably can justify it in your mind not sure you can justify it scripturally. In fact, I know you can't. Because this says that we're supposed to do goodness. We're supposed to be good. We are supposed to be careful as to how we treat other people. So maybe you ought to remember that when you, if you have to go downtown this afternoon and you're trying to fight the Tay-Tay traffic on the way in. Okay? or whatever it is that where you're tempted to be mean to someone, I, I think you should be challenged by what the Scripture and maybe this lesson today is saying. Okay? When you hear the word goodness, what do you think of? Kindness, generosity, moral excellence. One dictionary that I looked at, at, had the primary definition as the state or quality of being good. I was kind of puzzled at that. The state or quality of being good, that seems kind of circular to me because now all of a sudden, how do I achieve this, this quality of goodness unless I know what good is? In order for me to be a person of goodness, I need to understand what good looks like. I come back to who defines good. 
What is the standard of good? The whole concept of goodness has a wide range of meaning. We all are told at one time or another by someone, probably our parents, while I'm gone, I want you to be good. I knew that to meant, as my parents told our, their four boys, you know how to act when you are at home by yourselves or when we're at someone else's place. You know how to act. In that particular case, my parents were defining what was good. Obey the rules. Don't mess up the house. Don't hurt your brothers. And we did. Many times. So on and so forth. Last but not least, my parents said, meant this when they said, be good. Don't do anything that might embarrass us. And all my other brothers did. Now, if you parents told you that, it may have had a different meaning or the same meaning, depending upon the temperament of you and your siblings. Or you might think goodness is help, as, as, you might think of goodness as helping the poor or helping someone get their groceries in or uh, some kind of worthwhile deed, I, I, whatever that may be. Based on our experiences, we may have different thoughts about what goodness is. And therein may be many of our problems that we encounter today in life because many have come up with their own definition of what good is. I'm not sure, or I'm sure that you can think of many examples when someone thought what he or she was doing was good, but ended up not being so good, and someone got hurt out of what they thought was good. Many deeds have started out with good intentions, but ultimately become harmful to the people they were meant for or for even themselves. If goodness was just about doing good deeds, almost everyone would have to, uh, would have to be considered a good person depending on their own definition of what good is. So the idea of what goodness is varies from person to person and ideology to ideology. In fact, we live in a world that is redefining what good is. It seems to me that what used to be good now is bad and what is bad is now considered good and celebrated. We have moments and times when we're truly doing something that is unselfish and hurtful to others. <clears throat> but innately, we have more days when we struggle with being good. Because, guess what? We're prone to anger, to arguments, to division, or even slander. We put down people we've never met or those we know very well. Ever since we've been born into this world, we have a constant struggle between what is right 
and what is good, uh, wrong, and what is good and what is evil. In fact, we don't have to be taught how to be bad. It comes naturally. If you have kids or grandkids, you see it. I've seen it with my kids, seen it with my grandsons. And left to our own devices, we would, much be, we would be in a much sadder state of affairs if there was no godly influence in our world. But in our world, in our natural state, we are what? Sinners. We are enemies with God, and we're not in good standing all by ourselves. And this is where, until we confess our sins, we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, admit our need for Him, and call out to the Lord to be saved. At that point, which we, which we do, we go from enemy of God to friend of God. He saves us, makes us a new creation, and we become part of His family. We now have relationship and fellowship with Him. And God often uses His people to bring goodness into the world. Now, I'm pretty convinced that one of the reasons that our world is not in worse shape than what it is today, and it's not in great shape, but I think it would be so much worse if there was not a godly goodness influence from believers in Jesus Christ if we were all absent. It would be much worse than what it is. That's why we can't just attack societal problems from just good versus evil perspective because really, if you start looking at good and evil, it's a spiritual problem and it needs to be dealt with in a spiritual way. I actually I thought about this and this whole idea of people striving to be good, we work to be good, if we were able to get that to that point all by ourselves, don't you think we would have by now fixed a lot more of our problems than what we have? Just attaining goodness is really ignoring the sinful nature and influence from the prince of darkness on mankind. And we cannot Ignore the disruptive work of Satan and him planting the seeds of evil in our hearts and in our minds. And even though we're God's, part of God's family, we get caught up in this world of good versus evil, the battle between God and Satan. Even the non-Christian worldview believes that man is basically good and able to save himself, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Let's go to Scripture. The psalmist David recognized something much different than what the world teaches. Just keep working at it. Just keep maybe making laws. Eventually, we're all going to get better. It doesn't work that way. And here's what David had to say. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. What David's talking about here is a, a natural heart of man from the day that he's born. Man is born a sinner. 
it's tough to hear this, and, and, and many don't want to recognize this, and some even reject it, but David makes this statement, the natural default that we have is sin, evil, bad. And rather than measure what is considered good by what the Bible says, what we tend to do and we're taught in this culture is let's compare our goodness or badness to people around us. And there's fault with that. Where we should have the standard is not based on the goodness or badness of other people. The standard of what is good is who God is and what is seen in God. He is our standard of goodness. When you want to tell if you're good or not, don't compare yourself to your neighbor. Compare yourself to God and to Jesus Christ. So let's just deep a little, go a little deeper in this idea of what is goodness. A good way to see goodness is to look at what is, what it isn't first that Paul tells us about, and then we'll look at what it is. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. This is Paul writing in Ephesians. This is what evil looks like, the opposite of good, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and all other sins like these, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Man, that's a pretty inclusive list, isn't it? That's the character of the flesh. Let's go to the other side of that. In simple terms, what is goodness? Goodness is, and we're going to use some scripture to identify that in just a minute, Goodness is doing right and living godly and separated lives from sinful activity. That's what goodness is. It's saying, I'm going to look at all of these things. Now, some of them you're probably not guilty of. I hope not. But there are, that list is so inclusive that there are things that each one of us have been guilty of, maybe multiple things. But basically, we're going to say, hey, I'm going to take a look at this, Paul, and I'm going to say, I choose not to live that kind of life. And I'm going to choose to do right, and I'm going to live godly, and I'm going to purposely separate myself from sinful activities. Why? Because good, goodness is a characteristic of God. Goodness is action. It's being good or righteous, and that reflects God's kindness and goodness toward us. And even more than that, doing good is looking and changing our heart, allowing the Holy Spirit to work and change our hearts, and then we begin to have that, that fruit of goodness begin to come out in us, and, and so our heart changes, and we begin to do deeds and actions, and how we treat not only ourselves, that I'm going to get to in just a minute, how we're going to treat others out of the goodness that is in the heart. And in that, our actions toward others become good. We're able to do acts of benevolence or kindness or be a decent person. 
Really, goodness has to do with a person's disposition. It's more of an internal demeanor guiding us to how to, to do life in relationship. The meaning of goodness is very closely associated with godliness. It's being like God. Good like God. Is God good to you? If you're breathing today, God's good to you. If you had some breakfast today or some dinner last night or some food yesterday, God's been good to you. The fact that you're here and able to worship in this place freely, that's God being good to you. There's so many things that God does, it's incomprehensible of His goodness. Well, why should we be good? I mean, really, if you look all around you, it seems the folks who are doing everything but good are the people who seem to be getting ahead. It seems it's the bad folks who become the most popular. And the worse they become, the more they seem to be looked up to. So why should we be good? Here's a good reason. Because we're called. I'm talking about we as the church. You're a born-again believer. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. We're called to imitate what is good. Ephesians 5, 1, 2 says this. Imitate God, therefore... I need to check this and make sure this word was there. Well, I knew it was there, but I need to make sure you know it's there. Okay? Imitate God, therefore, in... Say this with me. Everything. Everything. What does that cover? Everything. Uh, I want you just for a minute to let your mind wander. And um, think about the last time that you weren't nice to someone. What'd they do to you? I, I just wonder, does anybody want to volunteer to say that? Yeah. No, it's okay. You know what everything covered? Whatever it was they did to you. Everything. Why? Because you are His dear children. We, His dear children, are called to be Christ-like. That means we're to try to Im imitate Christ as much and, is be, and beyond what we can. 3 John 11 says this, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God, has not experienced God, has not experienced His goodness. In other words, you want to, you wanna, don't, don't go out here and try to imitate all those people who have gotten so far ahead by doing the things they shouldn't have done, the evil 
Imitate one who's good, that you've experienced. So I ask a question, does it pay to be doing good? Does it pay? In other words, is my life going to be better? I mean, this is really getting down to the practical side of it. If I choose to imitate God rather than and walking away from those things that are evil, is my life going to be better? And I better hear a big amen that it is. It absolutely is. It pays to do good. And I want to tell you why you should be doing this. Where it really helps you, the first reason is this, it's an inward reason. You will never have peace, inward tranquility, until you have inward intrinsic goodness. There's always going to be something going, something stirred up in your spirit if you're bent on doing something mean to someone. It's going to be stirred up until the next time. You might feel good for a while. Man, I, God gave them what they deserve. That was really good. I wish I could give them some more. But I guarantee you're going to have an inner spirit about that that's going to say, no, no. You don't want to do that. You can't really deceive yourselves. You might deceive others. Others may deceive you, but you can't deceive yourselves. We really truly know what we are, who we are. If you want to live a good life, you have to be able to live with yourself, and the Bible calls that a good conscience. You want to turn your Bibles and you look quickly with me to Acts chapters 23. We're just going to look at one verse and look at chapter 24. We're going to take a look at what happened in the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul is being held against his will. He's taken into court. He's not guilty of doing anything other than preaching the gospel of Jesus. But he's in for a very serious matter, and they're accusing him from all sorts of things. He knows there's a possibility that he may not even get out of prison, and worse yet, he may lose his life. And I want you to see what he does here and how he handles things. So uh, Acts 23, verse 1. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. He say, This is my inner self. And there's something that is motivating me that I will have a good conscience before everyone else, before men. I'm t- now, Remember the setting. People that are about to take his life or has the potential of taking his life, and he's saying, I have lived in all good conscience. What is a good conscience? Go on to Acts 24, 16. Here's what Paul describes a good conscience. He said this, This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. There it is. I'm going to keep my inner self 
so clean that I'm not going to have any offense whatsoever, first with God and then with man. He says, I always strive to do this. It's something that I diligently go after. I strive to have always, always have a good conscience. It's a, it's a void of offense. Years past, Bill Gothard, strong person, said this, A good conscience is that inner freedom of spirit and assurance, knowing that you have a transparency toward everyone, that no one is able to point a finger at you and accuse you of wrongs toward him that you've not made right. Pretty good words. A good conscience is knowing that if you knew me as I know me, you would still respect me. Mm. Doing good is living without offense toward God and man. And when you are at that point, it really frees you up to live a good life. Did you ever do anything in school that broke the rules and you got away with it? Anybody? Okay, I did. You broke the rules and you got away with it. At least you thought you got away with it. Right, let me do it this way. Did you ever do something when you were a kid and you thought you got away with it, but years later your parents said, oh, I know what you did. <laughs> you thought you got away with it, but I really knew you didn't. And maybe your parents just let you get away with it. To this day, there was a, on a senior trip, actually, there's a, well, I'm not going to tell you that because it would identify the class that I took on a senior trip. We took a cruise, and it was a rule you can't smoke. Do you know I saw some of my students smoking? They think they got away with it. I just let it go. It wasn't worth the hassle to me <laughs> to deal with it. So I just let it go. To this day, those two students don't know that I saw them smoking. You know? hey, but one of these days, I'm going to get even with them. <laughs> I, I'm not going. I'm going to be. I, I'm not going to try to wrestle them like Zach and uh, and Matt. Uh -uh, no. You see, we think we're getting away with something, but I think down deep we know. We have a conscience that tells us, a Holy Spirit that tells us, no, you're not getting away with it. And when that happens, it, it constricts us. It's always there. So this living in a good conscience is saying, I'm free now. I, I, I don't have to worry about that. A good conscience frees you up to live peaceably with man, man and God. It's a life of doing good living good here's another reason we should do that Ephesians 2 10 says for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to what do good works for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them God has a job for us to do the job is to perform good works that he's prepared for us uh, well, you may be thinking, well, I, if I really am serious about focusing on a life of inward goodness, there are some things that I'm going to have to give up. 
You'd be right. You probably are. And I'm not necessarily talking about vices. I'm talking about attitudes that you may have towards some other people who may have wronged you in times past. Or maybe you need to forgive them. Someone really hurt you. I just don't think I can do that. Well, the Apostle Peter spoke into that. He said, remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. That's the inward reason. That's reason number one. An inward motivation, then, motivates or produces an outward action. That's the second reason, an outward reason, the outward reason. Not only looking in, but... uh, uh, but others are looking at you. Our lives influence other people. First uh, Corinthians chapter eight thirteen says this. Therefore, if I eat what causes my sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. We need to be conscious of how the life we're living and how it influences other people. Paul meant by this. He says, I don't want to do anything that will cause anybody else to stumble. Anyone else to fall? And that's counterculture today's time, because basically everybody, the way we're supposed to live today is it's no business of you to tell me how I'm supposed to live. But Paul said, you need to pay attention to the way you live because you're an influence on others. What happens when a giant tree falls in the woods? Other trees that are standing around, it takes them with it. Others are affected by our actions and our influence. None of us live to ourselves. If you're a Christ follower, you're Christ's representative. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This week, uh, amongst the other things... uh, Lynn has been having some eye issues and seeing some floaters and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, she's just getting old. That's, that's really what the problem is. And um, so she, last week, she went to the doctor, and the doctor uh, dilated her eyes, and she drove home. I mean, not a wise decision, right? And I was not happy she drove home, so she had some issues going on over the weekend. The doctor said, come on back and see me. And uh, I said, well, this time I'm going with you in case he dilates your eyes again. I'm going to drive home. And sure enough, uh, we went to the doctor, and he dilated her eyes. And while I, I was out waiting in the parking lot while she was in there getting all that done. And, and I looked over, and I saw these men working, these guys right here. And they were working. They were actually, uh, I was working on my sermon as I was waiting. I thought, man, this is a great example right here before me, right here in the parking lot. And... I looked over, and I want you to do, I don't know if you read it, it says, just quick auto detail. Just quick auto detail. They had been detailing a couple of cars as I was sitting there, cleaning them up. The first thing I noticed, because I really didn't know what they were doing, a car was parked between me and the truck, and the first thing I noticed was, you know, this is not a, this is not a new model vehicle here, truck. I don't know the model, but it's a, it's a, it's a Ford, I think, and it's, it's probably about uh, an 04, 05 or something like that. And I noticed this truck is really clean, you know. 
didn't matter the age of it. In fact, there was some wear on it, but the truck was clean, and it needed to be clean because of what the business they're in. Just quick auto detail on the spot. If you want to call them, their number is 615-650-3741. Give them some business, all right? What if their truck had been real dirty? What if it had been just covered with mud? Or, or that grime that gets on it that shows that it hasn't been washed in a long time? And they drove up to your house, and, and they were going to charge you, I don't know, $150 to detail your car. Is that about the going rate? Because mine haven't been detailed in a while. Well, what if they were going to charge you $150 to detail their car, a, a, your car, and it was filthy? Would you feel good about paying them, hiring them to do the work? I wouldn't. You know what that's called in church? Hypocrite. Yeah. When we're supposed to do something the way God tells us, but then we live a life that is completely opposite of that, that's where people start calling us hypocrites. We have a responsibility to honor God. Goodness honors God. Listen to this. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. There is a tendency, I understand it, to want to just give up on doing good. It's like, why do I keep doing this over and over? Why do I keep forgiving when they continue to, to, to just mess me up the way they do? Why, do? why do I just be nice to people when they're not being so nice to me? Here's the reason. We're not supposed to grow weary in doing good. For in season, at some point, it's going to pay off. Besides that, James 4, 7 warns us. So whoever, oh, this is a good one. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. So if it wasn't motivation enough to have the outward kind of life that honors God, if you don't do what you know is right, it's sin to you. You know the right thing, you don't do it. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity to do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith, we have a responsibility to do good and honor God with it. Well, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. No one's good. That's what the Bible says. It's true. There is no one good who does good, not even one. Romans 3, 12. This verse is talking about one who is unsaved. You know what God did? He took care of that. He demonstrated his love for us. It goes back to the John three sixteen. For God so loved... He demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You want to know how to treat other people? 
Look at how he treated us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. This is the opposite of all that other stuff. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's how we're to live. So graduates, I challenge you. Do good. Do good. Because of who you are and who you represent. And church, I challenge you and I challenge myself to do good. Our life is so much better when we step up to the challenge. Would you bow your heads in prayer, please? Well, I pray that somewhere along the line in this sermon, Scripture or maybe some illustration has spoken to someone who's being challenged with good and evil, choosing, trying to choose between the two. Very likely it might be a close relationship that's causing the turmoil, the angst in their life. Maybe it's the relationship between that person and you. I pray, Father, that as we allow the Holy Spirit to do a work, we would search our hearts and have that Holy Spirit reveal places where we fall short. And we allow the Holy Spirit to cause us to align our hearts with your goodness so that we can make a difference in our own lives, lives of others, and our relationship with you. Father, if you're speaking to someone about the whole idea that sin has caused that that gap, that, that chasm between you and who's dealing with that sin, that they would realize that you made a way through Jesus Christ. Maybe someone needs to give their life to Christ, may surrender, ask for forgiveness of sin. And invite Jesus to come in to be the Savior and the Lord so that life would be right. Life would be be good and pleasing to you. And I encourage them to make a decision to say yes to you right now, today. There's something else, Father, that you're calling us, the Holy Spirit's calling us to look at, and we need to spend time in this altar to pray about it. Father, help us to take that step to make it right right now and be obedient. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Would you please stand? Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing.
kindness of a Savior. never take anything away from 
what people are dealing with in their lives. I know there's a lot of burdens that exist within our church family. We're always here to pray for whatever needs are there. This week, really for some weeks now, the family of a 15-year-old within our church family that's been struggling with some health issues. His name is Troy Mills. You may have heard about Troy and keeping up through a prayer list of different things. We're just going to take a moment here. Because Troy's liver is failing. He's already been restricted on a lot of things that he can't do that he wants to enjoy doing. You know, on Friday evening, I received a text from Troy's mom, Terry, and said he's been placed on the transplant list. He said that song that we just sang said, God is mighty. He can do incredible things. And so I ask you to pray right now. Just in a spirit of prayer for Troy Mills. That God would intervene his life and provide healing in the way that he wants to accomplish it. So would you just join me in prayer for a moment? And Father, we come to you because we do believe that you're a God who can do powerful things. You, there's no other power that comes close to what you're able to do. You can make a way when there doesn't seem to be one possible. You can bring hope to hopeless situations. You can speak into people's lives and save them from sin. And you can speak into Troy's life and bring healing. As his church family, Father, we rally behind and around and with this family. To lift Troy up to you. We ask your intervention in his life. We pray this that would be in your will to accomplish accomplish some incredible things for this young man that only you can do. Bless the family, Father. Give them the comfort and the courage and the strength that they need as they walk this valley with Troy. 
And Father, bless our church family. As we come alongside the Mills family, we try to walk this with them through our prayer support and other ways that we could reach out to them. And Father, there are others who are in pain for different reasons. Speak and bring comfort as only you can do. And do a mighty work so mighty that we can't help but stand back and look and say, it was you. No one else could do that except you. And we'll give you the glory, the praise, and the honor for what you choose to do. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. And the church said, Don't forget, um, VBS, we're still uh, needing some folks to help out with that. Thank you guys for being here this morning. You're dismissed. Hold on just a minute. Danny. Last men's breakfast this coming Saturday, 7.59. Love to see you guys there. Have a great week, everyone. Make a difference. Hi, good morning. This is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what? We would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615-776-1807. One of her pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. Let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us are looking for sources of hope, and you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us, and He wants to meet us right where we are, but you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person. We would love to shake your hand, give you a smile, and do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody.